efficiency is not effectiveness. They're not the same thing. So I think, you know, drawing this kind of line between efficiency and effectiveness, we, you know, in the ideal world, we want both. And there is a, you know, a limited pot of money. I understand all of those constraints, but this idea that being more efficient is somehow going to mean we're more effective. I mean, the, the worst thing in a way healthcare can do is be focused on throughput. You know, it's not good for the patient often, and it's certainly not good for the doctor in terms of what you're talking about, feeling connected and feeling that human bond. You know, we, you know, do we actually want robotic doctors? And I think the answer is no. Hi, folks. I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is the Emergency Mind podcast, a space where we bring together lessons from the emergency department and beyond about performance when it matters the most and applying knowledge under pressure. In this episode, you're going to hear my friend and co-host, Dr. Andrea Austin, interviewing Cherie Johnson, who is a psychologist and a coach for doctors. Dr. Austin will do a more formal introduction in a second, but beforehand, I just want to remind you two other ways that you can get more involved with the Emergency Mind Project. First, you can sign up for our newsletter, which should be coming back this week, actually. It's called Knowledge Under Pressure, and it's available at emergencymind.com slash signup. The second is that if you haven't already, check out our book. It's called The Emergency Mind, Wiring Your Brain for Performance Under Pressure. It's available at Amazon and through a wide variety of independent bookstores. You can find out more about it at emergencymind.com book. And if you've already checked out the book, please go online and leave us a review. It's a huge help for us here at The Emergency Mind. Okay, all that said, let's jump right into this episode. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's Andrea Austin, co-host of The Emergency Mind. As many of you know, Dan and I work as emergency physicians. This moment of the pandemic has been especially hard for really everyone, but I will tell you as healthcare workers and specifically working in the emergency department, this has been extremely hard. It is very hard to take care of patients that are suffering and to watch their family members deal with the fallout at this moment when so many of our patients could have been spared if they had only taken the vaccine. There is a special type of anguish that we are experiencing while we take care of these patients. I can say I've never seen morale lower among the healthcare community, and it is truly troubling to me to see how demoralized and tired healthcare workers are at this moment of the pandemic. At this moment, I really can't think of anyone better for us to be talking to than Cherie Johnson. She's a registered psychologist and executive coach. She has a powerful story about how she has become a physician advocate and coach, and she has so many mega pearls in this episode that I truly wish I had learned some of these concepts earlier in my career, but I'm happy I learned them now. And I'm so excited that we get to share them with you. And I truly hope that they provide a, a point of reflection and spur you to spend even more time on your personal development and self-care to get through this pandemic. As a programming note, we will be releasing this episode in two parts partly because we recorded it in two parts as we were juggling time zone and professional commitments. So I hope you enjoy this first part and look for part two soon. I am so excited to have Cherie Johnson with us today. Hi, Cherie. Great to have you on the pod. 
Hi, Andrea. How are you? Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Yes, we overcame all sorts of time zone challenges, and this is so exciting. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, So I'm a psychologist. I live in uh, rural Victoria outside of Melbourne in Australia, and uh, I am work as a psychologist I've worked for a long time having my own counseling practice uh, but in the last seven or eight years I um, really have worked more and more with doctors and now all of my work except for a very small portion uh, is work is coaching doctors in groups or individually so I'm also a meditation teacher and uh, I bring a lot of um, experience in mindfulness and compassion practices so those are the sort of focuses of my work, helping doctors really build their intrapersonal, so their internal management skills and their interpersonal skills, building their communication skills, their ability to understand what motivates other people and so on. Um, And I came to this um, work in a roundabout kind of way, like often people have done when they get to their mid-career. So I have uh, worked in welfare organisations and health organisations as a practitioner and as a supervisor and then I had my own private practice counselling for many years and now uh, work for myself in this coaching space. But the coaching really came about from personal experience with my husband. And uh, I I know that I talked about it on Cheryl's um, podcast, so I won't labour the point. But my husband, Tim, had cancer. He died, unfortunately, 10 years ago. Um, And during that four-year journey walking with him, I feel like my eyes were really opened as a psychologist that even though I'd worked in the health system and uh, with a lot of people in trauma, I hadn't been on that side, the other side of the fence, if you like, of being the patient or the carer of a patient. Uh, And I was really struck by the things that I noticed in the health system other than our experiences as patient and patient carer. So I was really surprised at the variation in care we had between doctors and nurses and some allied health and and complementary therapists as well. Um, Some who were very available to us and very kind and warm and we felt really engaged in a partnership um, of care for Tim and others where I felt like we were really... um, not cared for very well or not connected to very well by the health professionals. So after Tim passed away, that really stayed with me, this sense of curiosity, I guess, about what was happening for the health professionals. Why was the response so different? Um, during the Tim's cancer journey for those four years, we had engaged with a number of different hospitals, lots of secondary consults and so on. So I felt like I had a broad range of of experience. I wasn't just, you know, picking on one doctor, so to speak. Um, And uh, so I started to make a lot of inquiry. I started to talk to a lot of doctors about um, their experience of training, uh, what it was like for them to be a doctor, how they were supported, were they supported at all, uh, a lot of listening about what, what was it like to be a doctor. So my initial beginning place was that I was really, you know, quite angry and feeling like doctors needed an education in how to communicate with patients. Um, but really, I have, I think, you know, I've taken this long journey from being a patient, thinking I would be a patient advocate in some form, to becoming really a doctor's advocate. I, you know, I feel like I've just learned so much about what it's like to be a doctor and how difficult the system can make things for doctors. 
and how limited the training is that doctors receive in lots of areas. So, you know, to be kind of fairly harsh and blunt, you know, doctors are trained in anatomy and pharmacology and, you know, perhaps surgery or whatever their specialty is. And in some cases, that's literally all. So there are a lot of gaps around how to uh, look after yourself, how to uh, make a business case inside um, a, a big organisation. And, and we see this dichotomy, don't we, all the time between administrators and, and deliverers of care. So I think there's a lot of things that doctors haven't been offered or have been has been neglected in doctor care. And so I, I do have some strong opinions now about how healthcare can perhaps be altered or transformed. <laughs> and a lot of the current talk is around, you know, that doctor, doctors, physician-led uh, organisations, and there is some benefit for that, but I don't agree with that wholeheartedly because I don't think that our medical professionals have all the skills that they need to take on those roles. So I find myself now in this interesting position of learning again about uh, what physician leadership looks like and, and what doctors imagine that would look like and thinking through, well, what skills might be needed there. That is a wonderful way to start this episode. And there's just so many layers that I want to get to. But I think the first thing I want to touch on is I think you're fully aware of how bad the COVID situation is in the United States. And it's not an exaggeration to say that some healthcare systems in particularly the Southern part of the United States are facing the real prospect of collapse um, in the weeks that are coming. And just watching social media, which I know is not the perfect barometer, but it is the most negative I have ever seen healthcare professionals. And across the board, people seem to be hurting. And just to put it in perspective, I, I put out on multiple different social media platforms a call for any physician that felt that they were doing okay and would be interested in coming on to this podcast to share what their strategies are with our listeners. And I put this out on multiple platforms with thousands of people and nobody messaged me, which is unusual for a call for a podcast. So I know that's a tall order, but let's imagine an emergency physician, maybe they're a junior um, attending, they finished up residency a year or two ago, and they're about $300,000 in debt. They're working about 14 shifts a month and a lot of night shifts in there. They are completely exhausted right now. Every time they go into a COVID room, they are angry because they feel like this case could have been prevented and they're just really struggling. Like any of that joy that they felt as a medical student um, or early resident is completely wrung out and they're wondering what they can do right now. Such a big question, Andrea. <laughs> and I, I don't, you know, claim, but certainly I don't claim to be, you know, some psychologist from, from Melbourne who knows anything about what that experience would be like it's you know I just my heart goes out to every single one of of you of all of you it's just devastating what's happening I think that um a lot of the this uh immediate you know crisis how do I pick myself up it really depends on our values and our beliefs and the reframing and the way we talk to ourselves and it's a very real question to ask ourselves, well, who do I want to be in this moment? It's a very coaching question to ask ourselves, who do I want to be and what can I do and what do I need? 
really to avoid those questions about why. It's not helpful to, you know, this why is a, a too big and broad a question, but to ask very specific questions. Who can I be in this moment? And if the answer is that I can't, I can't show up, I'm not okay to show up, I think we have to be really genuinely uh, interested in that, in that answer. That there, to, to my mind, uh, healthcare is not about swapping out one person's health for another person's health. You know, it's not the doctor's job to save the person who is unwell and kill themselves in the process. You know, I think that this idea of patients first and do no harm, uh, that these two ethical principles exist for good reason they guide our decision very decisions very well and they you know they've they've come about for wholehearted good reason but the implied the implication is physician second or physician last or physician afterwards and you know I just don't buy that I think as a community as a whole community we've got something wrong in that equation that I, I don't expect that I will come to hospital or bring my person to hospital so that they can get better and the doctor can, you know, reverse places. That, that doesn't seem to, that's not sustainable, it's not realistic, it's not helpful. So I think that we've got a, a big expectation as a community and inside medicine that's not serving us anymore. This idea of patient first is not serving us. Now, I know the doctors listening will find this, some might find some of what I'm saying incredibly challenging because where does that leave you if you don't say patient first and you can't come to work where does that leave you and that creates an enormous identity crisis I understand that for many doctors I think that's what you're hinting at that you know you're you're a young enthusiastic doctor who's trained for many years has enormous amount of debt who wants to serve but it feels like the mountain is you know too big it's too impossible it's too hard there's a temptation as an individual single person to want to rescue or want to fix and that's really just not realistic in these enormous com systemic complex problems so I don't know what your answer is to the systemic problem but I think for the individual doctor these psychologically we can't sustain our own integrity when there's too much dissonance and it's going on all of the time so if every moment that you're at work feeling like I don't want to be here I'm scared to be here I, I you know I can't concentrate pile on of stress is too much the kind of very simple question is why would you keep putting yourself in that situation you know there are big answers required big complex systemic issues but for any individual one doctor I think these are very real questions to ask yourself. Can I really show up today? And if I do show up, can, am I in a position, do I have the capacity to do no harm? Because if you actually are not in a position to do no harm, you're really doing a disservice going against your own values to tr even try in some ways. Probably creating more questions than answers, Andrea. Oh, no, I think that was a really insightful response. And I think we're seeing that happen with nurses in the United States. So part of the issue that's happening right now, hospitals are partly overwhelmed because of staffing shortages. And nurses are essentially saying, we're burned out, we are tired, and so they're quitting. That's very antithetical, I think, to physicians. And part of it is we feel like we can't quit because the debt load in the United States is so high, uh, especially for our new graduates. But I think it's a really powerful idea that we have to be willing to say, I'm not well right now. One of the things I've been thinking about more and more with these really critical 
specialties that involve a lot of intensity and a lot of exposure to really potentially severe psychological distress like critical care and emergency medicine is we probably should be building in intensity and rest cycles in. And and what I mean by that is when you think about, let's take an example of a special forces fighter in the military, you know, they go on intense deployments and they might be in uh, a window for a year or two where they're up for these intense deployments, but then they frequently cycle back to a setting in which they are not going to be a in that high intensity, more of kind of what in the Navy, we call shore duty, something a little bit more relaxed that is not typically associated with deployment. So I've been wondering with physicians, if we need to build that in, or that's what I've kind of done for my myself recently, that I do some telemedicine, I still do some emergency medicine with more intensity in those shifts. And then I do some other educational work and through that, I think I'm finding, if I dare say the word balance, but I think perhaps it's too much to expect somebody to do, you know, 10 or 15 shifts a month of this really intense care. I love that idea, Andrea. I think that um, this intensity rest cycle is a great frame. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with me. If we look at, you know, firefighters, people who work in oil and gas industry, people who work in aviation, they all have these kinds of systems and they have as their first principle safety first. So they don't have, you know, patient first, they have safety first. And that allows the organisation to think of all of the parties, all of the stakeholders. Um, so, you know, we need a radical shift in, in this way, I think, in, in, um, in health. And what that actually looks like in any given hospital, in any given country, might have a different flavour to it. But I, I think that you've nailed something there, calling it the, the intensity rest cycle. Well done. I love that. <laughs> this is why I love podcasting, because, you know, we can come to these new ideas as we're, we're sharing it. And, you know, you and I have very different perspectives. We both care a lot tremendously about burnout. I'm, you know, I'm a physician, but you're seeing it through the lens of psychology and coaching. And I think uh, that synergy that we can have by doing these partnerships and conversations with not just physicians, and I'm sure you're familiar with physicians tend to be a bit siloed. And why aren't we reaching out more to the aviation community and other communities that have experience with these really high stress areas and drawing on all the knowledge that we could and apply that to medicine? I totally agree. I think that there is, um, you know, medicine is quite insular. You know, doctors prefer to be taught by doctors. You know, it still operates, you, medicine operates with an apprenticeship model. You know, it's very hierarchical, which creates a lot of its own problems and stress. Uh, and so these, this looking outward, stepping outward, having other voices in the conversation, whether they're, they're psychologists and coaches or industry experts around occupational health and safety, or, um, you know, I think in, in primary care, we are looking more and more at life coaches, people who can help people lose weight and manage their food intake and those sorts of things. Um, it's unrealistic to expect that doctors can do everything when it comes to healthcare, and it's unrealistic to expect to then add on that they should manage healthcare as well. And they may well manage healthcare better than um, other people are, MBAs and business school people are perhaps. 
But I think it's in the collaboration, as you, as you say, that we're going to generate the new ideas. And it's not only about the doctors driving it, it's about the community as well. It's about helping patients think about what they expect of their health system and their health service and what their role is. How do they actively you know, bring their own agency and contribute themselves to, to their well-being and their health. And we do have a different health system in Australia to what you have in America. But I think these principles of, of agency and voice and collaboration, um, you know, exist in all of the systems. We know that if something happens, you know, the butterfly effect, if something happens in one part of the system, it affects all the parts of the system. We can't necessarily see them. So we need other eyes. We need other people from other parts of the system to be sharing with us what the impact is in those other places. In terms of, I, I want to just go back to our traumatised doctor that we were talking about earlier. I think the other important piece there is this identity crisis. Okay, let's say somebody accepts everything that we're talking about. They accept that they need to ask for help or they need to say, I can't come in today. What do they do, though, then about thinking about their role as doctor? What, what, what actually is that now? If I can't come in as to all of the shifts and I can't respond in the way I traditionally have, how do I describe doctor? And we do some interesting work in our small group immersion programs um, around the terms that people use for doctor. So, you know, if I said to you, do you, are you a scientist? Are you a facilitator? Are you a teacher? Are you a healer? And doctors have very different responses to those different words. Some people love the idea that they're a scientist. Other people say, no, I'm not a scientist, but I do interpret or share other people's science. Really challenging and thinking about, you know, how do we describe the role of doctor? How do we fulfill it? And what do others expect of the doctor? I think those are key to this this changing of healthcare. And many doctors will say to me, it's not me, it's the system. You know, I'm happy to show up. I, I, I feel confident in my skills. I love being a doctor, but the system thwarts me. There's so many hurdles, you know, the funding is not appropriate or that, you know, when the jurisdictions limit me, I'm not allowed to do this or that. Thinking about these um, barriers, it's true and 100% real and we do need to attend to it. And we also need to build the right skills and expectations and mindset and so on inside our doctors. It's, I, I, just, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think any either or remedy is only going to be part of the solution. I think we need to be doing both of these things at the same time, these systemic changes and challenges and the, the internal work for doctors individually and collectively. And I think that collective work is the most powerful. So in our program where we have small groups of doctors from different specialties coming together, we do see some of that silo stuff breaking down a little bit. But people need the opportunity and the, the vehicles, the places and spaces to be able to have those conversations. I'm not sure in your hospital, but in Australia, things like you know doctors' dining rooms have disappeared in hospitals or doctors' lounges. So the avenues, the places and spaces for doctors to actually talk to each other are much less. So I think we've got this kind of dual track. We've got less conversation between doctors from different areas and no, in some cases, no conversation with doctors with any other professionals other than perhaps nurses and the occasional argument with the administrators. 
So I think that those two things, allowing doctors to find each other and, and have space for these conversations to say, you're not on your own. You're not the only person that's having this challenge or this experience. It's the common humanity that actually builds compassion. And then this, this bigger conversation across industry and, and learning from other places. Yes. And I see that so much more as I progress, you know, I'm approaching mid-career and I think back to the hospitals that had the physician dining room and I, I didn't really grow up with that. And it was a little bit odd at first, but then I was like, this is awesome because, you know, as emergency doc, if you were able to run up there and, and grab some food and sit across from the pulmonologist and break bread, the conversation usually went a lot better when you went to go admit a patient that maybe it was a little bit of a nuanced case, but you had built some relationship. There's tons of literature that you can get through a lot of stuff if you feel connected to the group. And certainly in the military, that's a big part of the culture that if you feel connected to your unit and there's a bond that you can overcome a lot. And I, I think as at least in American healthcare, as we've just moved on and just so much focus on how to make everything so efficient and drain every single productivity out of every healthcare member, we're losing the, the relationship and we're not widgets. We're not robot. We need to add that connection back in. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I totally agree. Your break as being lazy, but we know that break is necessary to be effective and to be restored to do good work. Lastly, I really like the point on relationship that this is hard work and we can only get through this with each other. So those are the three things I'm taking away from part one, but stay with us. Come back for part two. We are going to talk about the relationship between empathy and compassion, and we're going to dig on why a coach might be a very effective adjunct for a physician in their personal and professional development. And if you'd like to learn more about Cherie Johnson and her coaching practice, please check out www.coachingfordoctors.net.au. All right, folks, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you learned something and I hope you enjoyed as always on this podcast, our goal is to dive deep into what it takes to perform under pressure. Nothing that we discuss here should be construed as medical advice, and all of the opinions that we discuss are our own and are not necessarily representative of any organization with which we were affiliated or for whom we work. If you want to go even deeper and get more involved, don't forget to check out our book. It's called The Emergency Mind, Wiring Your Brain for Performance Under Pressure, and you can find it at emergencymind.com book. All right, good luck out there.